0: You're listening to the Queen City Church Sermon of the Week. For more information on this message and other resources, visit queencity.church. I would like to invite uh, Laura Dickerman this morning. She's going to read some verses of scripture for us.
1: Good morning. I'm going to read some familiar verses this morning, but they're always um, just really special if you try to imagine that it really happened. This is from Luke chapter 1, starting with verse 26. During the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, the angel Gabriel was sent from God's presence to an unmarried girl named Mary, living in Nazareth. A village in Galilee. She was engaged to a man named Joseph, a true descendant of King David. Gabriel appeared to her and said, grace to you, young woman, for the Lord is with you. And so you are anointed with great favor. Mary was deeply troubled over the words of the angel and bewildered over what this may mean for her. But the angel reassured her, saying, Do not yield to your fear, Mary, for the Lord has found delight in you and has chosen to surprise you with a wonderful gift. You will become pregnant with a baby boy, and you are to name him Jesus. He will be supreme and will be known as the Son of the Highest, and the Lord God will enthrone him as king on his ancestor David's throne. He will reign as king of Israel forever, and his reign will have no limit. Mary said, but how could this happen? I am still a virgin. Gabriel answered, the spirit of holiness will fall upon you, and almighty God will spread his shadow of power over you in a cloud of glory. This is why the child born to you will be holy. And he will be called the son of God. What's more, your aged aunt Elizabeth has also become pregnant with a son. The barren one is now in her sixth month. Not one promise from God is empty of power, for nothing is impossible with God. Then Mary responded saying, This is amazing. I will be a mother. For the Lord, as his servant, I accept whatever he has for me. May everything you have told me come to pass. And the angel left her. Fast forward. During those days, the Roman emperor Caesar Augustus ordered that the first census be taken throughout his empire. Quirinius was the governor of Syria at that time. Everyone had to travel to his or her hometown to complete the mandatory census. So Joseph and his fiancee, Mary, left Nazareth, a village in Galilee, and journeyed to their hometown in Judea to the village of Bethlehem, King David's ancient home. They were required to register there since they were both direct descendants of David. Mary was pregnant and nearly ready to give birth. When they arrived in Bethlehem, Mary went into labor, and there she gave birth to her firstborn son. After wrapping the newborn baby in strips of cloth, they laid him in a feeding trough since there were no available space in any upper room in the village. That night, in a field near Bethlehem, there were shepherds watching over their flocks. Suddenly, an angel of the Lord appeared in radiant splendor before them, lighting up the field with the blazing glory of God, and the shepherds were terrified. But the angel reassured them saying, don't be afraid for I have come to bring you good news. The most joyous news the world has ever heard. And it is for everyone everywhere. For today in Bethlehem, a rescuer was born to you, born for you. He is the Lord Yahweh, the Messiah. You will recognize him by This miracle sign, you will find a baby wrapped in strips of cloth and lying in a feeding trough. Then all at once, a vast number of glorious angels appeared, the very armies of heaven. And they all praised God, singing glory to God in the highest realms of heaven, for there is peace and a good hope given to the sons of men. When the choir of angels disappeared back to heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go, let's hurry and find this word that is born in Bethlehem and see for ourselves what the Lord has revealed to us. So they ran into the village and found their way to Mary and Joseph. And there was the baby lying in a feeding trough. Upon seeing this miraculous sign, the shepherds recounted what had just happened. Everyone who heard the shepherd's story was astonished by what they were told. But Mary treasured all these things in her heart and often pondered what they meant. The shepherds returned to their flock ecstatic over what had happened. They praised God and glorified him for all they had heard and seen for themselves, just like the angel had said. Thank you.
0: so good that's the good news so let me ask john mark if he's going to come and share for a few moments hey merry christmas almost it can be christmas today any day can be christmas um Isaiah 7:14 says therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign behold the virgin shall, get, shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel when Matthew quotes this verse he includes a little side note it says Emmanuel is translated God with us Mary is this version from Isaiah she received this news from an angel. Can you imagine what that was like? Try to. Try to. And uh, while you're thinking about this, I want to say this. I'm a pretty big science fiction fan. And uh, C.S. Lewis has a space trilogy in which all the angelic type beings appear upside down. Because they don't walk the earth like we do. Their domain is the universe at large. So if you can imagine, they kind of swim up to the sphere of the earth, you know, and uh, they might kind of look the way we would appear if we were, you know, swimming down to look at a clam snorkeling. You get the picture? (laughs) To us, they would appear swimming down towards us from the sky. I mean, clams and starfish don't have eyes, but if they did, that's maybe what it would look like. Angels swimming down to us from the sky, because the earth is just a floating ball to them, right? Well, so with zero scriptural evidence whatsoever to support this, I, for fun, would like to imagine that all angels in Scripture are upside down. you cool with this? Or, of course, from their point of view, we would be upside down. Uh, So if you want... Picture Mary speaking to an upside down angel, or if you really want to mix it up, be the angel speaking to an upside down Mary. Cool? Cool. Also, I think it's really important to note that what is happening to Mary here is what we call a reoccurring theme in scripture. Um, everything in scripture is important, is important, but things that reoccur might be really important. It most famously mirrors a promise to another prominent couple in Genesis, Sarah and Abraham. Like Mary, they're promised an impossible child. But unlike Mary, who in a sense was too young to have a child, Sarah was too old. It's kind of the same story in reverse. Or you could say upside down. Mary shouldn't have a child because she's never been with a man. And Sarah can't have a child because she's beyond the age. Mary is too young and inexperienced. Sarah is too old and past her prime. But the promises of God don't seem to be bothered or deterred by either of these facts. I have a question for you. I'm take a little bit of a left turn. Do you think you could tell the story of Abraham and Isaac in church if you hadn't heard it your whole life? I mean, seriously. Could we talk about this in public? If if we didn't learn about it since we were little kids, God promises Abraham that he by his wife, Sarah, will be the father of multitudes and a blessing to the entire earth. But then God waits an unreasonably long time before he gives Sarah even a single child. Then after Sarah miraculously conceives and gives birth to Isaac, God seems to suggest that Abraham must go into the wilderness and sacrifice the promised son. It helps a little bit, at least with the visual, to know that Isaac was probably a full-grown man when this happened. But still, it's rough, 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 if we're going to be honest, right? I've struggled with this concept for years, and what kind of parent would you be if you didn't? Recently, however, I've realized something that I've been missing for most of my life. It's not that I was reading the story wrong, but I think I've been reading it backwards, or you could say upside down. Okay? It has been said that context is king. Has anyone ever heard that? Context is king? My shirt's going to come untucked if I raise my hand too high. Nobody wants that. Right? It's been said that context is king. And we, fortunately, live in a time where this type of thing seems extremely unreasonable to say the least. From some other choice words I'd like to use that I won't. But Abraham did not live in a day when this was extremely unreasonable. In Abraham's day, it was the common thought that in order to appease the gods, a mortal had to make a sacrifice. So in times of trouble or lack or at the whim of the perceived local deity, a person would offer up things that were valuable. Food offerings, wine offerings, animal sacrifices, offerings of money, or anything and everything you can imagine. In many, if not most, ancient civilizations, it wasn't uncommon to pay the ultimate price when times were desperate. It wouldn't be uncommon to offer up someone you loved or even yourself. The Babylonians did it, the Aztecs did it, the Mayans did it, the Egyptians did it. There are stories from ancient China and Japan. There are stories from the pagans in ancient Europe, and the list goes on. But it's Christmas, and this is kind of a heavy subject, so I'm not going to go into more detail, but it's important to note that from almost the dawn of history, mankind has been willing to lay down the things they loved to win the favor of the gods. So you see, Abraham's willingness to make an offering was never the headline, in my opinion. There's little unique about this. What is unique is that God It's not a story about the character of Abraham. It's a story about the character of God. Okay, what does this have to do with Christmas? Everything. It has everything to do with Christmas. We have forever been reaching, striving, clawing, at the stars of heaven for significance willing to do whatever had to be done to gain the favor and attention of divine powers then suddenly there's this moment in time when a big G god steps out from a sea of little G gods and turns the story upside down are you ready Instead of demanding a sacrifice, he gives you one. Which is weird if you think about it. But remember that Paul calls Jesus the image of the invisible God, which means that God isn't offering up his son in any way that he isn't also offering up himself. So if Christ is born in a barn to a couple of refugee kids in the presence of animals and blue-collared blue, collars, blue workers from the graveyard shift, then it must mean that Christ is also born every day, even to the uninitiated, to the spiritual virgins, in every house and in every heart who will simply make room. Because for Christmas, God gave us himself. Isaiah seven fourteen. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. And when Matthew quotes this verse, he includes a little side note. Emmanuel means God with us.